You're listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, we talk about our complex feelings about the AIGA. And if we should just start our own competing organization. Like Matt did in college. and I'm a designer in the Bay Area, and I wanted to introduce Nicole Killian, who I met at MCAT a couple of years ago. Um, She's a great friend and a design educator and all-around great person and has a cat named Pony, so that's great. (laughs) And another name, Bear, right? You have Pony and Bear? Pony and Bear. I sense a theme. (laughs) Oh, and and ferrets, right? Or do you you still have ferrets? Yeah, yeah. We have one ferret, and his name is Napoleon. I was expecting something different. I know, I know. (laughs) It's not consistent. Well, you have a system for the cats and a system for the ferrets. You don't want to cross the streams. It's good. No, that's true. So thank you for joining us, though. We're very excited to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be talking with you. So today we're going to talk about the AIGA. I was kind of inspired because recently, well, not so recently, maybe a couple of months ago, um, the 2016 AIGA design census uh, came out and it was in partnership with Google. And I think this was the first time that the design survey was reframed as a census. I think before the survey was more about salary and kind of Mm -hmm. years, and they shifted the focus more towards um, calling it a census because I think they wanted a more accurate uh, count of salary, location, um, and like more emotional questions, like how happy are you and what else? And they had a couple of random off-the-wall questions that I think they removed. Um, but I was just kind of spur- uh, spurred by the idea of, like, AIGA trying to stay relevant in 2020-something. 20- but um, some background on the AGA, because I just found this out literally, like, yesterday Googling, because I was like, oh, I should probably know about this. <laughs> um, it was... <laughs> Uh, It was founded in 1914 as an organization for those passionate about communication design. And the aim, according to Wikipedia, um, is to be the standard bearer for professional ethics and practices for the design profession. Um, It's not free. You have to pay. And some of the benefits are like health insurance, a dot design domain for free if anyone wants. Does it right on the label? Is that what you know what you're getting into? Yeah, so I'm kind of curious, like, when did people first hear, like, when were you first introduced to the idea of the AIGA, and in what context? And has anyone joined? I'll jump in. I first heard about the AIGA when I was probably a freshman in college, so in undergraduate studies. Um, And it was a club that all the graphic design students were in, so I felt like I wanted to be a part of it just to meet other students. Uh, But also, I remember hearing weird things like, you you have to say that you're a member if you want to get a job. I remember these really just like funny kind of like you felt like you needed to belong in it or like you had to be in it to be professional. And I think as a student, um, not really knowing much about graphic design, I went went along with it. all my professors said they were a part of it. Um, 
they kind of stressed being involved. So I started going to the meetings. And then when I was probably, I think, like a junior and senior, I was on the board. What is being on the board of the AGA? Like, what does that entail? We plan trips. And we, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember many events. We went to some events in Rochester, New York. But I remember the like professional designers never really talking to us. So I always felt pretty disgruntled about, about that. I guess that's when my disgruntled feelings um, started about the AIGA. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we just, we went on a New York city trip. We went on a Chicago trip. I think they went to Boston when I was studying abroad. So, or my understanding was that it was supposed to connect students to the professional world. Um, And then I stayed a member when I moved to New York. And then when I was at MCAD, MCAD didn't have an AIGA group, but they had design club. And I was the like faculty mentor on that. But strangely, MCAD enrolled me as a member of the AIGA. So all of a sudden I got a membership card in the mail. But I'm no longer a member. So I learned about the AIGA um, when I was at MCAD too, um, when Nicole was a teacher there. And I remember the AIGA having a really large presence in the Midwest specifically. Yeah. Like they were always oh my like, God. Yeah. Like Minneapolis, the AIGA Minneapolis chapter was like number one chapter um, in the United States. Cause there was their events all the time, which was great, I guess. Um, they did the insight. They partner with the Walker for the insights lectures. I think also I felt like, when I was younger, I was gaining access to job opportunities. I would always look at the job board when I when I was graduating. I had a very similar feelings towards the AIG where it was like, oh, you should like join this club because then you can network with other people. But then all the most of the designers that I really respected were just like, why are you why does the AIGA exist? So that was a really confusing uh, mixed signals but I think when you're a student at MCAD they everyone got a student membership or something like that or it was just like really it was like discounted so everyone kind of reaped the benefits of um, AIGA when we were there uh, I, I also learned about it during college it was actually my sophomore year because uh, freshman year where I went to school you weren't in your major it was all just general purpose so there was nothing graphic design specific happening for me then but sophomore year, I get introduced to the idea of the AIGA, and I and most of the people that were my friends and peers uh, joined because I wanted to get their annual thing, right? What is it? Their, they, every year they do an annual, like, you know, big, beautiful book of work or something. Uh, right. And the promise of that was, was very good. And the student discount is pretty steep. I think students still pay 50 bucks for a membership. Yeah. yeah. So, Which yeah. is like pretty decent. So I felt like, oh, I'm just paying 50 bucks for this really nice book. And I'm a sophomore graphic designer and I really want cool books around me because that's what I value at this point in my life. And uh, yep. that was kind of my introduction <laughs> to it. I, I was a member throughout college at the student discounted rate. And then I just never re-upped when I became a professional. And uh Honestly, I haven't thought about it much since then. Um, the I don't want to say the uh, chapter here in Baltimore is not very active because I've never made an attempt to go to anything. For all I know, it is very active. But I will say that I have never like seen a big event or something that I felt like I was missing out on for not being a member. Uh, it just doesn't seem like it's as dominant here as I know it to be in other places. Um, and I will I will mirror what I heard that the 
AIGA chapter that I've seen that was uh, the most impressive to me was the one in, in St. Louis. Uh, I visited St. Louis once for an event and seeing that AIGA chapter, I was like, oh, this is what it could be. It's like a community of people that all actually know each other and, you know, care and, and get together and do stuff, um, which is not what I've, my experience has been here in Baltimore, at least. When you say that, I'm like, is that just what Twitter is? <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing, actually, because, you know, I, I have to confess that I, I generally, too, have like a fairly cynical view of of the AIGA, which is probably just, you know, because I'm super punk rock and I'm just looking at any <laughs> you know organization that purports to represent a big group of people and just kind of, you know, seeing the flaws that are inherent in that idea. Uh, that said, mm -hmm. I do think that I have a better understanding of the value of an organization like that in a like pre-internet world, you know, before mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. was possible mm -hmm. to you know, follow your heroes on Twitter or whatever and, you know, see their work on Instagram and, you know, follow them on Tumblr and, you know, build a community that way. I do see the value of an organization like that being more prominent. And I will also say that I've heard from people specifically that um, didn't go to college to study graphic design. I know all four of us did. And uh, I think that going to college and studying something like that, a big part of the benefit you get is an inherent membership in a community, right? Like you have peers, you have professors you meet, uh, you have internships, like you kind of, that's one of the ways you get into the community. And uh, for people that don't do that for whatever reason, uh, maybe they're self-taught, maybe they couldn't afford or get into college or whatever. Uh, I think that the value proposition of something like the AIJ makes more sense to me there as well, because there you mm -hmm. can say, here is that community that, you know, it would cost you a whole, you know, a whole four years worth of tuition, but instead you can just pay the 250 bucks every year to us and you have some semblance of that, which I think makes sense to me. That, that kind of seems logical, at least. Is there anyone here that isn't cynical of the idea of the AIGA right now? Like, I feel like I have a similar starting point where I learned about it in college. There was an AIGA group. I actually didn't join the group. I had a competing design group that had nothing to do wait, with it. Wait, 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 wait. You started your own pirate design group? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, with a couple of friends. That's amazing. <laughs> I need to know a lot about this right now, Matt. I need to know the name. I need to know everything about it. So there was the AIGA group, uh, and we all, we looked at them as kind of like, they taught you about the business of design, and that's boring. And then we started a group called Union that was just talking about, I guess, like the ethics of graphic design oh, and how we can whoa. fix the world. That's so awesome. So it was like competing factions, uh, but we didn't charge any money, so... Maybe we're dumb. Maybe we just didn't. Make is is Union still in business today? I think it is actually. I, there's a Facebook group, and I see sometimes it has activity. So I think it is still around, but I don't actually know. Man, you would start your own rebel design <laughs> club. That is such a thing you would do. I love that. That's amazing. I think that's um, what's super interesting is like I totally, uh, I'm on the same page about AIGA feeling like very professional. You know, like I think its um aspirations to be this like professional ethics and in design and practices uh practices and design is like that seems really awesome in theory but at the end of the day it does feel like just a giant meetup or like a, a professional networking kind of organization um and i think like i was digging through the AIGA blog and stuff too. And I feel like I have two gripes about it. Um, well, two big ones, really. Welcome to our new segment, Annie's Gripes. I know, this is the Annie's Gripe Corner. But I think they, so they they strive to be this kind of like, okay, this is what ethics in design is. But I understand it's professional ethics, but when you purport to be kind of this organization that um, 
um, is like an umbrella for all of the design industry and kind of not really have difficult conversations about graphic design or any sort of design and its political context seems really tone deaf. Um, they had a blog recently that was like how to make Trump's branding great again. And they treat it as a very like business as usual case study on like the challenges of creating a logo for Trump Pence and like, why did people feel flat about it when it was just like, but also Trump is terrible. Like, how do, you, how do you design a logo for a monster? Yeah. So they had like the creative director. They were just like, so what were some of the challenges of like designing for a political candidate? And like, and it was just like completely ignoring the fact that he's just a terrible human being and his entire campaign. I feel like that article sort of encapsulates my problems, I guess, with graphic design and general um but i think that the aiga typifies that um like this idea of we're, we we want to talk about logos and branding and so it doesn't actually matter who we talk to because that's what we're interested in and um you know the biggest things that we need to talk about are identity systems and so mm-hmm. it always stops at that really surface conversation um you know, I think about when I, when I see graphic designers on Twitter just really upset about a logo redesign, and um, those would be the same people that would, re- would read that article. Like, it, it, it's tone deaf. It's, it's, um, it's sort of graphic design at its worst. So here's, a, here's the thing I, I kind of wonder about this, about, like, because they purport to be this kind of, like, ethical oversight over, you know, graphic designers or the profession like it does seem like there is like there are times where i've seen it as a very useful thing in the sense that like if you have to go download like uh, a contract template or something like that's super useful that's a great thing and like i, I do think there is there's that place for it where it's a really useful thing in the world of graphic design business mm-hmm. but like once it starts to get into the world of ethics at all like i feel like the only time it ever comes up in my life is when people are upset about them on twitter because somebody tweeted something dumb or they wrote a really gross article about something so like literally the only time it ever comes up in my life now is just people being upset about them doing an insensitive thing so i have the their mission statement and then my uh dealings you know my kind of impression of them which is i only see something bad coming out of the idea of the world (laughs) being upset about it yeah that's this whole thing is very interesting to me because I, i will admit that as i have gotten older i have gotten less punk rock and therefore less jaded and kind of cynical about the aiga and you know i have to ask the question right that i we all i think share some political beliefs here about certain you know so-called presidents of the united states being human monsters <laughs> but uh i'm sympathetic to the fact that we very likely have listeners that don't agree with us and certainly the aij with its far-reaching membership has plenty of members that don't agree with that sentiment uh and so i kind of agree with matt that once you start claiming in any sense to be an organization that you know comments or has a position on ethics you open up yourself to a whole new world of criticism right where all of a sudden now your political views are fair game right and we have to talk about, is this, you know, business as usual? There are just two different competing political systems in the country, and it's nothing atypical at all. It's just, you know, politics at work. Or is this a situation where we can say, this is ethically wrong? Uh, and I, I genuinely don't know uh, if the AIGA should, you know, stand up for something like that. 
Uh, I don't I don't know if that's what okay. I expect from them. I don't know if that's what I think they should do. Uh, and certainly I understand that I'm sure they would lose a lot of memberships if they were to, you know, come out and say nobody designed for Trump or anything related to him because we believe as an entire industry that, you know, this guy's wrong and doing bad stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of have that if you read their about page or like if or at any point kind of read what they stand for, like they do say things very vague things like graphic designers should do should never work on something that will do harm to people in general or do harm to the public or something like there is that where it's like super super vague what does that mean i guess you have to interpret that for yourself mm -hmm. i guess my question it was kind of like if they just offered like business advice and like contract templates and like how do you actually run uh an agency like would it be boring and useful and we'd always be like yeah you know it's fine but because it's kind of this this like social network before social network exists and also trying to be this trying to make these vague ethical claims is that now trending into this like why we're all so cynical about it uh well i mean with with that article i think the problem is talking about talking about graphic design without connecting it to the content you know <laughs> yeah. so yeah. so like I say this so much that I feel like I'm becoming a cliche, but it's like form and content are inextricably linked. You can't, you can't look at a design system and look at it purely as form without also talking about who it's for. Mm -hmm. And so I just, that is, that is like a, that's a real big problem for me. And I also think if that's the if that's the type of content that you put out, that's also bad business for yourself as a designer to to sort of dis um, separate those two. So actually, maybe I misunderstood it slightly. It sounds like you're not saying because Trump is a human monster, I don't think the AIJ should write something, uh, you know, that's just like shallowly critical of the graphic design. You're actually just saying like this is just bad design writing like period like regardless of what it's about because it doesn't address you know if we're going to talk about branding trump we have to talk about branding you know extreme anti-immigration stances and we have to talk about branding you know extremely <laughs> criminal history of various crimes the crimes all kinds of crimes <laughs> uh you're, you're saying we have to talk about those issues and it's just it's not that the aj has to say and we think just, we think trying to get immigrants out of the country is bad. They just have to say, this is a logo for somebody that wants to get immigrants out of the country. Is that what you're saying? Um, I mean, I think it'd be great. I think I would have a lot of respect for them if they, if they made a statement, you know, saying that it was bad. Uh, but I also just think that if they're going to write about it, they, they can't talk about it on a purely formal level. It's just, I, I, you can't you can't deconstruct something without deconstructing the whole thing. So. Are we talking about just this one specific article, or is this a thing that's come up over and over again in their writings? I, I can't um, say I've seen this repeatedly like, from them. I feel like a lot of their stuff seems pretty like surface level. They talk about just like really quippy, kind of like this is what it is, and mm -hmm. this is like the intent of the graphic designer. It feels very bloggy, um, but I also feel like in general, it just feels like their entire organization feels really opportunistic right now like they also have they have like you know um what is it like a like conferences about diversity in tech or diversity in design mm -hmm. but at the same time they're also showcasing um this content that's like antithetical to 
all their other initiatives and Mm -hmm. it feels like they're kind of just hedging bets on both sides but I also feel like the AAGA as a whole feels in a way like this institution that no longer like feels relevant in a way or they're kind of uh they're kind of just like they're uh they feel kind of like the all the designers who like really love <laughs> a specific like a very eurocentric like male design canon you know like it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like mm-hmm. they're trying to grow and change in a deeper level like they've you know worked with google but it's because design has become more like product design or for like one of the like what is the future of design one of the questions like the top answer was digital so it feels like they're just trying to <laughs> zeros and ones baby that's like, the future of design <laughs> just binary Code. information nothing analog so to me it just feels like um an institution that's trying to stay relevant but really in a very shallow way i mean you can even see that in how how the the blog looks you know it's the space that feels a lot friendlier. The writing is now talking more about youth culture, but also in a very shallow way. It reminds, like, the AG right now kind of reminds me, like, I think the, the, all the contracts and all the kind of, like, professional development thing is super helpful because that's stuff that you don't really learn as a freelancer when, or, like, if you want to go into freelance, because when, like, going to MCAT, it was very much, like, design is author and we're gonna like you know your senior project is you know deconstructing your like you know post-colonialism or whatever and but it was but like once you get out you're just like how do i charge and do my taxes which i think is really a great resource that the aag provides but when it comes to kind of talking about design as a whole design in its context historical context it reminds me of that um like that meme of like Steve Buscemi looking like a young person holding a skateboard. That's like, what up? Like, what's up kids? Or what does he say? Like, what's up children? I think he says hello, fellow young people. Something like that. So I have a question. Do you think, so what I'm hearing is that you're saying the practical mission of the AIJ, the practical mission, not the ethical mission, which is just, you know, provide professional resources to a group of tradespeople, right? That's what we are at the end of the day. That you're saying you've kind of see the value of, think that's a good thing they provide. Uh, But something about the sort of messaging, the the brand of the AIGA, for lack of a better word, is just feels dated to you and desperately trying to not be dated, right? Yes. So it's just like millennials. (laughs) So are you, I'm, I'm curious if you're open to the idea that for every person like the four of us, right? So relatively right. young uh, designers who may or may not think they're too cool for school and don't need to use the AIGA and, you know, have our stuff figured out or whatever, uh, that there are, you know, two people that if the AIGA were to appeal to us in the ways that we're describing would, you know, be lost, right? Like I'm open to the idea that the AIGA can't represent everybody and therefore maybe has made a strategic decision to represent as many people as possible, and that may mean that I'm just not in that in that bucket. Um, is that something you're open to, or do you feel like it really is just kind of a broader, you know, generational thing? Like they're missing a whole a whole group of people that is, irregardless of their sort of 
values just because the organization has, has dated itself? I mean, I just think that since it's something that is introduced during your time as a student, I think that it does, I wish that it felt relevant. I wish that it felt critical and, mm-hmm. um, and helpful. Like, I think that all of those sort of professional practice issues are important. And I think that they could even be a better re- uh, resource at that. Um, but also if you're going to create other content, um, that deals with cultural issues, uh, and contemporary graphic design practice, then I just think it needs to be meatier. Part of what I'm struggling with is the idea that writing an article like that, which I have no interest in, and and, and that's what I'll say about it, right? Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's good or bad. That's not something I'm interested in reading. I don't care about that. Um, I don't know if the presence of that negates any of the good you could possibly point to the AIGA doing. And to be clear, I'm doing my best to play devil's advocate because uh, Mm -hmm. I, as we said up front, like I myself have not really been involved, nor have I seen any reason to get involved. Uh, Like Matt, I only see news about the AIGA when they accidentally put their foot in their mouth for some reason, uh, which, you know, when your members are liberal, largely liberal and progressive uh, artists who you claim to be making an ethical sort of stance on their behalf, you're likely to say things that are going to make people mad pretty often. I think that's a, you've set, you've set yourself up to fail as soon as you sort of say you're advocating for the ethics of a a big group of people uh, with diverse beliefs and values. But, but yeah, uh, I, 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 some dumb articles exist, right? I get it. Uh, I, I, I don't know if that means to me that the entire organization is irrelevant. Uh, just that, you know, maybe those things are relevant to different people. I don't know. Well, I mean, the thing that I feel like we're mostly just talking about the AIG's blog, and if they didn't have that, like, would we have... I think there's still um, valid, like, other issues. Like, I think I would the, still have problems. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I've always thought of them as, like, uh, you know, a place that promotes designers in the sense that, like, they'll, they'll feature, like, 10 or 25 designers, tw- the young designers that you should check out or whatever, like... If they didn't have the blog, I think it would still be doing stuff like that. And you could probably point to that and say, oh, you featured 25 white, uh, young white guys. But I feel like so far we're really just talking about, oh, the AIJ has a blog and we don't like it. Okay, so if we, ta- if we take away the blog, I think the, practic- the practical, helpful um, resources of the AIGA are, are helpful. Um, but I do think as a as a you know, organization that has chapters in many cities. There's been a chapter in almost every, I guess I've lived in Rochester, New York, New York City, Minneapolis, and Richmond. Um, All of those places have had chapters. And I have found that community outreach and the actual idea of just building community, um, I think, I don't think they're doing a good job at that. Like, I still think that it's important in 2017 to have physical communities, you know, um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's doing that. I think there's still like a barrier to entry. Like they have a, they like sponsor their, they do San Francisco design week, but it's still kind of like, like you still have to pay for certain events and it seems like it's more to the benefit of maybe their corporate sponsor than maybe 
to their own organization and design as a whole. They, they, they do charge for things, right? And that's something that I've heard a couple of times in this conversation is like, oh, it's not free and it should be, or it's weird that they charge for this, or they're you know trying to make money off of stuff. Um, which I, I think that's a valid argument if we want to talk about it. But the thing that I keep thinking when I when I hear that is that you know if we're going to talk about money exchanging uh, in terms of the design community, I, I have to keep coming back to the fact that you know the AIGA is so much cheaper than you know getting a design education, right? Uh, like tuition for a school, and a large part of what you're paying for when you do pay your tuition to go to a school, I really believe is connection to those peers and those professors. Uh, it's it's very much a networking thing, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, so you know, these things do have value, I think. And if we think that the AIGA is overvaluing them, then that's one thing. But the idea of having a community of people or resources that you charge for, um, you know, without charging for that, then they wouldn't have the personnel to maintain those resources or to run the design census if you believe that's a valuable thing or to run their competitions and you know awards if you believe that's a valuable thing um so i, I don't know I, I struggle with the like like i, I feel like you should let them make the money like if they're gonna make money like go for it uh, yeah it, it's more fair. about like the actual programming <laughs> itself right like i don't see much value in in you know, awards and recognition uh in the same way that i think a lot of people do um, and I, I don't see, I, I value the design census though. I will say that I think that is a great use of their resources. Uh, it, it showed a lot of things that I anecdotally felt to be true or had like seen to be true myself, but having the actual data to, to back it up is always really great. Uh, and there were some things mm-hmm. in there too that I was not aware of that was nice to kind of be, be, uh, exposed to. So um, that's one example of something I think they did really well. Uh, I'm, I'm glad they did the design census and, you know, <laughs> a lot of the, uh, so that was that was the source of some of the AIGA putting their foot in their mouth news uh, from the past you know year or so. I know that I think originally their question about gender was just uh, male, female, or other, and they got a lot of pushback mm-hmm. about that, and eventually changed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I it's tough. I think I, I'm sympathetic to them for trying to do public things in a in a industry full of harsh critics. Uh, mm-hmm. So. My real question is, who is doing a better job uh, on any scale of this? Because I I agree, right? I'm looking at their blog. I don't see any media articles. Uh, I agree that most cities I've been in that have chapters, from what I can tell, they don't do a phenomenal job of community building and getting people to attend events. Um, I've attended some AIGA events, uh, and, you know, some of them are good, some of them not so good, you know, kind of mixed bag. So my, my question is, you know, I agree that that's missing, but I almost feel like that vacuum is not specific to the AIGA, it's just specific to the entire industry. And we end up pointing to the AIGA because, you know, they've run out there with their flag saying, we're the organization that does this. But couldn't you also blame everybody else for not chipping in to do to provide those same kind of resources? Totally. I mean, I think the university, I, I think the universities do a better job of engaging the design community in a lot of ways than the AIGA. If, if, if we're talking about building community or um, get, having events that, that are helpful, I don't think anything's perfect, but I guess maybe the problem is also it's, it's really the only one. Like, I can't, what other organizations are out there? Yeah, like is the art director does the art directors club count? I don't, I can't ever. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the TDC and the ADC are probably examples. Other countries have equivalent things, uh, like Canada. Yeah, Canada has the RGD, which is actually th- their version is like you're supposed to register as a graphic designer, like you would register. Oh. As an yeah, their version is very different. Oh. Uh, you, you, 
don't have to be a registered graphic designer to practice graphic design. It's not like a regulated industry. I think it's like one of those. I think it's like one of those software certificates you can get. Sure. Where you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's actually interesting. interesting. Uh, I learned a little bit about it because I attended an event in Toronto that was put on by the RGD. And, you know, I, generally, I would say that the RGD is very AIGAE. Like every, every criticism we're lodging mm-hmm. towards the AIGA, you could similarly lodge of the RGD. Um, but they are definitely much more serious about the like formal aspects of it, right? So uh, you, they basically ask that more people register, and it's it's not you're not legally required to register, but apparently it's pretty typical in Canada for employers to ask to see your registration, or for like your clients as freelancers wow. to ask to see it. And if you don't have it, it kind of huh. makes it harder to get jobs. And as a result, my understanding is that a much higher proportion of people practicing graphic design in Canada are registered. Uh, and part of registering is that you actually like commit to you know an agreement or a contract saying you won't do certain things like if you are a registered graphic designer you are not permitted to do spec work Uh, it's not like against the law you're not going to get arrested but you could get kicked Mm -hmm. out of the rgd if there's evidence of you like participating in spec work uh and i'm not sure i want to have a whole conversation about spec work i have a lot of opinions about that but it's interesting (laughs) to see that they've taken a much harder line uh and in some ways have gotten a lot more engagement because they are you know more formal about it and have sort of stronger stances um, for better or worse, I don't have enough experience to like comment on how successful that is in terms of the things we're talking about. Um, but, but yeah, like, and uh, that sounds so appealing though, that like, the idea that yeah. they're able to like put their foot down and draw this, like draw a line in the sand seems very appealing because it's like you, you can either like you, you can just agree or, or disagree with their practices instead of this like kind of weird gray area where. It's like, I guess, like, AIG is doing some good and some bad. And I understand you're right. They can't. Um, Do you remember um, a few years ago when the AIGA got rid of this competition that they had had for a really long time? And I can't remember the name of it right now, but they swapped it out for a a competition called Justified. and. Uh, justified was built on the framework of like you were you could the the work was judged based on sort of how one could articulate the value and brief by the like outlined by the client and when they when they introduced this competition they took away a competition that um that more supported I would say I don't like the word innovation, but this idea of sort of challenging graphic design or thinking about form, thinking about what actually creativity is, um, surprise, inspiration. And um, I remember Paula Cher writing something about it, and I'm not a a huge Paula Cher fan. I mean, she's fine. But I I remember reading this, this, this letter that she wrote to the AIGA, and it really, it really struck a chord with me because I felt like um, the removal of this competition and replacing it with a competition um, based around like clients and briefs, uh, it was like reading something that explained to me uh, the problems I was having. You know that mm-hmm. I felt like the um, the organization was much more about maybe like entrepreneurial spirit and business than actual graphic design, which is, I think, more, it's visual communication, and that can be a lot of different things. And so uh, 
Yeah, I don't know if any of you remember that or have thoughts on it. Yeah, it was when they they replaced the 50 books, 50 covers one, which is a famous. Yes, yes. Yeah, I I found the letter. It's titled AIGA Unjustified. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. And apparently uh, it replaced the annual competition 365 and also eliminated the uh, 50 books, 50 covers thing, which was apparently around for 90 years before it was gone. Wow. Um, And this is interesting to me. So, So am I understanding correctly, Nicole, that you feel like the focus on, you know, satisfying a prompt from a client or, you know, justifying your decisions in some business context, uh, in some ways kind of like neutered the uh, the vibrancy or the life of the design work. And it kind of showcased the fact that the AIJ was more focused on, you know, something shallower or sort of less meaningful to you than what it was previously highlighting. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, totally. I just think that um, a lot of meaningful work can come out of client-based work. But I think that by kind of taking away certain competitions and replacing it with one very specific, I think that it uh, the AIGA was maybe showing its true colors in terms of where, where its uh, loyalties were or um, where it was where it was looking it like towards the future. And I guess for me, that's not my future. Or th- sure. I guess that's not, that's not what, that's not like why I love graphic design, you know? Well, what, what's interesting. I mean, that, I, I'm kind of curious. That's kind of curious. Cause like, I think we started this conversation kind of criticizing um, kind of these articles that are not very meaty. They, they are very shallow. They kind of deal on a surface level. I mean, in some ways, couldn't you say the the book cover competition is very shallow and just like looking at the cover of a book is maybe not the like meat of graphic design would justify be like an attempt to move. Like you can see how they were there. They were attempting to move in a direction there. Like, totally. I don't I don't really know if I care that much about any of the competitions, you know, like mm-hmm. it seems like replacing a fake thing with a fake thing. But mm, Yeah, I guess I just it didn't have to be book covers. It could have been something else. But I just think that. Even the title of a competition called Justified, you know, maybe that, that's it. But do you know what I mean? Like, it, se- it seems like uh, they were trying to move in the direction of more more meat on the bone, yeah. I guess, by, like, having a brief. Yeah, it seems, like, it seems like they were trying to address your criticism, basically, which is that they're saying your graphic design cannot be made in a vacuum. You must be connected to the content, and you must right. justify how the decisions you made are connected to the content or the meat of whatever you're trying to describe. Uh, so maybe I'm just missing. Maybe I'm missing your point. Uh, I, I guess I'm missing the point of only judging graphic design based on its connection to commerce. Only, um, only you know, looking at graphic design as good if it's satisfying a brief. I can understand the commerce part of it, right? Like if it's if it's purely about how you sell some corporate thing, right? But I mean, I do think there's something to the idea that like. You, the work can only really be judged by what the goal was. Um, much like, you know, you can't really judge the Trump logo without the goal of the Trump campaign as part of it. You can't just look at the aesthetics of it. So, yeah, I, I don't really, I still don't really understand how those two things jive. I don't know. Maybe they just do to me. I feel like I'm more interested in sort of looking at the work and judging it based on its communication and not. I don't. I don't want the the backstory of the brief. I want to see it sort of mm-hmm. living and breathing in the world. And maybe maybe I'm I'm contradicting myself, but I think that like I don't want someone to have to tell me that something's good because it was fulfilling 
a brief. I want to see how it's functioning. I want to see um, that it's like a culturally literate piece of design. And I think that also there's a lot of really moving pieces of graphic design that I don't even think I could tell you what they were for, but they resonated with me. And so maybe that's like yeah. the romantic part of me. I think like when, when the, um, so the idea of just like the idea of it fulfilling a business goal, it's, it's like, I also immediately had like an icky feeling about it because I think that removes the audience from how they interact with the design as it functions in the world and in the context of like being out and about and to kind of say that good design is good because it fulfills a creative brief which may or may not have just been a business goal I think that gets really tricky because then what like we're really creating design to communicate the needs of a business or a corporation and maybe not so much resonating with um, the audience or who the intended audience is and so that feels like maybe that part is missing. Like, sure, it can fulfill um, a creative brief, but a lot of the times we don't really have visibility to how it actually does live once it's, like, out in the world. Yeah. And, like, how does it affect culture? And, like, what are the ramifications? Does it resonate with the audience? And I think that reminds me of like, Andy, I was telling you about this. I think this like tweet that um, I found from <laughs> David Rudnick that I had you like translate. For. I just like that. I like that introduction. I, I found this tweet. I was, I was yeah. looking around <laughs> and I found this thing. I dug it up on the beach. And yeah, I found this message in a bottle and I uncorked <laughs> it. And uh, I think I like slacked it to you because I was like, Andy, can you explain this to me? I don't understand what this means because I think the explanation was like a little bit verbose. So I, I just like couldn't synthesize it. Yeah, I, I'm going to link to it uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, it was original tweet. And then some journalist, I think from the AIGA, actually, uh, incidentally yeah. enough, uh, asked David Rudnick to <laughs> kind of further explain his ideas. And there's a little paragraph that was posted on a blog post somewhere. But um. But the the general idea, uh, as I recall, and I don't mean to misrepresent it, I hope I don't when I paraphrase it, was basically that uh, graphic designers have kind of lost the lost sight of the true goal, which is to you know make something that speaks to an audience in favor of making things that satisfy the need of their clients. And because the needs of our clients come from capitalistic companies that have selfish interests, uh, graphic design ends up being these kind of like web of subtle lies and, uh, you know, kind of like tricks uh, that cause people to basically like not trust their visual environment because they know that, you know, everybody wants to look like they have the trustworthy, good product. And if all graphic design does is satisfy everyone's desire to look trustworthy and good and like something you should buy, then it kind of lost all of its meaning. Um, and <laughs> there's, there's so many interesting contradictions at play here, right? Because I... Uh, we, we said, and I think we agree that, you know, the practical aspects of the AIJ are maybe some of the most valuable, right? Like the things that focus on business value. Uh, and they have a competition, which is focused on, you know, business value, right? Like at the end of the day, um, so it, it, Nicole, you're a full-time professor, correct? That, that's, your, that's your job? That is, that is one of my jobs, yes. So, so you, may, you may be the exception here, but, uh, you know, I think uh, Matt, Annie, and I are in a world where 
I can have all the beautiful ideas about philosophy that I want, but if I don't find clients to buy my graphic design services and charge them for it, then I'm not much of a designer anymore. I'm, I'm out of work. Uh, so there is a practical aspect of that. Uh, so I see what the AIJ was going for with their justified uh, campaign. Uh, at the same time, there is also these like higher, uh, saying higher levels maybe not fair. There's also a different level of conversation about, you know, design as visual communication, which I think is a broader approach to what design is and a broader way of thinking about it uh, in a way that I appreciate and value and I think is much more difficult, frankly. Um, I, Nicole, I, I share your sort of romantic notion that some of the most beautiful quote-unquote design work I've seen is things that maybe weren't part of a brief. Maybe the person that made it called it art, but I saw something in it that you know spoke to me as a designer. Um, the, the tough part is, you know, I think once you start going down that path, the question of subjectivity comes up really quickly. And, you know, we can malign or kind of make fun of an article about, you know, what I learned from Comic Sans, but, you know, perhaps that beautiful piece of graphic design that maybe didn't have a function that really spoke to you, uh, perhaps this article about Comic Sans is that to somebody else, right? Like, if if we're going to be critical of them for not addressing, you know, the, the meaty issues of context, uh, then we can. And if we're going to be critical of them for being shallow, then we can. Uh, but I feel like it's so hard because, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of come at it from every angle. And I, I agree with everything everybody said. I don't think anybody's been wrong or contradictory, but it's just, I think it really highlights the tough position that an organization that is so central to this conversation has because, you know, they're trying to have it every way, right? And it's it's inherently not possible. I guess maybe I'm also coming at it seeing that students that go into graphic design are not just being graphic designers when they leave. And so I'm thinking about like, what do we think Mm -hmm. a graphic designer has agency over? Um, What other things does graphic design equip us to do? And so I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, you have to pay your bills. We talk about that in classes, but we also talk about the fact that um, a lot of people don't stay in graphic design because they feel like they don't have agency. And so how do we talk about communication? How do we talk about like what you bring to the table? Is that, is that purely just in fulfilling a brief? Or like how else can graphic designers educate and communicate? and engage a community. And I think that those things are really what I see is exciting in, in the practice. Um, and I don't, I don't see being in academia as sort of being separate from graphic design practice. Um, you know, no, I, I didn't mean to imply that if, if I did. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sort of, no, I know you're not. I'm just kind of saying like a lot of times students talk about the real world and I'm like, you're in the real world now. You know, you just kind of move through it. <laughs> well, uh, you're in the real world, but right now you're paying everybody around you to pretend like you're in some magical fantasy land where your logos matter. <laughs> yeah, uh, like that's you're really not. What you're doing. Like you're not. <clears throat> but like, yeah, I mean, I always talk about like appropriateness of what someone is making. And so um, depending on what you're doing and the function, like you're going to have different levels of agency and so um I, I i guess i just wish that you know in talking about professional practice agency was also involved and that 
might not be on a blog post, but I think it could be part of like the the resources. Like how do we how do we mentor mm-hmm. designers to be empowered? How do we make a community feel like um, they understand what design is and what its role is and how it can help? Um, and that can be through just making a logo, or it can be in like figuring out strategies for other things. Um, yeah, I guess th- I guess that's like at the heart of my gripes is that at the end at the end of the day, I don't feel like the AIGA is empowering its community, or um, or or like or talking about the pow- the, mm-hmm. the actual power of yeah, like, I design would totally or agree. design thinking. You said earlier that you think universities do a better job of this. And I guess I think some. I mean, I think some. I think you know, because, but... like, in a university setting, it, you you kind of create this utopia, right, where you are allowed to do everything. Like, you are your own client. <laughs> the thing I was going to ask about that, though, is like, I I don't disagree with that, right? But I think the resources required to attend a university versus just be a part of a of a trade organization is like vastly different. Like, could a trade organization ever do what a university does, where somebody's paying? tens of thousands of dollars a year to go and be a part of that community. No, but I think like we're redesigning curriculum right now. And it's funny because we talk about, we talk about, you know, professional practice. Where does that come in, in education, but also thinking about these other things. And so I feel like, you know, in some ways design education could learn from the AIGA Mm -hmm. in just sort of those resources, you know, like how do those become embedded into a discussion? But I think what the AIGA could learn from some of the more higher functioning institutions is like, how do you, how do you bring in that agency? How do you bring in um, conversations that aren't maybe quantifiable, but could happen in these sort of, in these meetups that they schedule um, or in the conferences that they, they put together. Do you mind just uh, like defining what you mean when you say agency here, just because I, I wonder if some people won't know what you mean in that context. Yeah. I mean, I think that, designers at the heart of it are dealing with language and not, not just in typography, but I'm, I'm talking about communicating with people. And so I think that is like a great responsibility and um, it's not just about communicating, you know, someone else's uh, voice, but it's also yours. And Yours comes into play when you work with someone. And I think that I find that highly empowering, you know? Um, And I try to, I try to tell my students that I'm like, you, you have, um, you have agency in what you, what you want to do. Um, And it's not always going to be easy. It's, it's almost never easy, but um, I don't know. I just think, I just think that an organization that is trying to reach out to its community of practitioners, I think, needs to to speak to that responsibility. Well, I would I, I would actually think like if if we're talking about kind of their origins and the kind of um, the kind of like Eurocentric design heroes that they would hold up, like I don't even know that they would share that philosophy that you have. Probably not. Like I think, but I think, like I think, I think that would be the core of it. Is I think a lot of it is. Uh, I think if you ask most of the people on the board there it would be like, well, no, graphic designers don't, aren't trying to put their voice into something. They're, they're, they're strictly using their, their skill set to like, um, tell another story. You know what I mean? Like all, all back to the brief. Like, I feel like it, like it could just purely be like 
they just do not share that philosophy by any means. Well, it's funny because that's the uh, that's very close to an explanation that someone at the RGD gave me when I was at this RGD event. They were like, "Look, the reason we believe in being so formal about this is because." We believe that this is a great responsibility to communicate with the visual language in the same way that, you know, if you were a translator for somebody, you'd have a great responsibility to like, you know, do uh, do right by both parties, the people you're translating between. And, uh, you know, to if we people often talk about uh, aspirationally about how powerful visual language can be and how, you know, effective graphic design can be in various different ways. And, uh, you know, I think that oftentimes that conversation lacks the conversation about the subsequent responsibility that comes from really believing in that power, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So I, 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 I hear what you're saying, Nicole. I, I definitely get that. Um, and I think that is something that, to Matt's point, is not really something I hear the AIGA discussing. I hear them discussing, you know, here is how we do things. We're a trade profession. Here's how to better best serve the your clients, right? Uh, which is certainly not without value. Uh, it's just a different thing, I think, than their kind of stated mission. And where it gets kind of hazy for me is it's a bold thing to, to kind of purport to stand for the ethics of an organization, as opposed to being, you know, just practical, you know, resources for people in a, in a trade. Uh, that's where I feel like uh, they've opened themselves up to a lot of criticisms like the ones we're having here and, the, you know, the various foot putting in mouth moments they've had over the you know past couple of years i think comes from reaching beyond and, and trying to get at what you're talking about but not really addressing it perhaps in the way that you're describing yeah no i think it it's just uh their mission statement maybe doesn't match like they have a lot of different things going on their sort of brand strategy is not working clearly <laughs> you know there's a lot of different things going on and um yeah, I mean, I think if they were just, like, giving practical trade advice, I think that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, well, I think it's funny because there is this, uh, like, AIGA, we keep talking about in this podcast, is, like, it's a good place for um, a sense of community if you didn't go to college. But when I think about going to college and going to MCAD, like, community was part of it, but also just this idea that... Um, like, I feel like having gone to MCAT, it wasn't so much like meeting my professors and like meeting Nicole and like the people, but it was leaving with this idea that as a graphic designer, I do have that kind of agency. I do feel empowered that through my practice, I'm able to like put into tangible forms, like how, like how I see the world and what I believe in. And sometimes that doesn't always work out depending on the client, but there are like, I feel like someone has given me the permission to have these tiny moments of subversion, right? Like, whether it's, like, if I needed a pull scrap or, like, stock photography that I make sure that there are people of color represented, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, these types of very small mm-hmm. moments of subversion, like, against, you know, the normal, like, let's look at all these white hands holding devices, you know? Yeah, plus you do me a favor every time you don't use a white man in one of your profile photos because it's probably me. Yeah, it's going to be you. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, for the, the AGA, like, it could have that um, potential to, like, talk about, you know, as a graphic designer, what is within your power or, like, highlighting projects that do that. But it's when they do highlight a project, like I think there was one that was like 
oh, a designer works with um, Syrian refugees, but the physical manifestation is like a poster series, which is like in one case. I'm like, that's so... That sounds like it's going to help a lot. I know. I'm like, <laughs> oh, but I think this is like, I mean, this is also just tied to my, you know, the existential crisis of like, how does design, how is how can I as a designer even like make any sort of larger change? But yeah. Ooh, you know. I know what you could do. You could make a branding system for uh, ways to resist Trump. That would be the thing <laughs> that I think would be a great contribution to, to our current political climate. I think the way we need to move out of this political climate is through uh, memes. Cause I honestly think that's the only thing that's going to like cut through the clutter. Well, if you can, if you can get elected president through memes, then I think the way to move out of political climate is to get on a rocket and yeah. blast into outer space and never come back. And just well, die space, in the cold vacuum of space. That sounds space pretty good. SpaceX apparently like launched a rocket today, so the future is a lot closer. Yeah, you can just climb on a SpaceX rocket when they relaunch it. There we go. <laughs> All right, we should move to our, our last word, which is everybody gets a chance to kind of get whatever thought is lingering in their mind still out. Um, the, uh, the thing I want to kind of come back to is this note which I have here, which I'm having trouble reading. You just wrote butts again, didn't you? just wrote butts again. Um, Are you the one that wrote that on the on the census three times? Yeah. <laughs> no, that wasn't me because I couldn't participate because I'm not a paying AIGA member. Um, uh. No, so it, I, honestly, I think that for as critical as we've been on this episode, I think you can look at this from a very optimistic perspective, which is that we are four people that have it sounds like had extremely positive experiences in spaces of design community and design discourse. And it sounds like for most of us that happened uh, during our education. And so uh, optimistically, I think we're saying the AIJ has an obvious reach, right? Like like it or not, they are the organization. There's not really any competitors for them in the United States. Uh, they have uh, a, a, big, a big megaphone. And I think that what we're basically saying is that we would love to see some of the great stuff we experienced in our, our lives, in our sort of journeys as designers, be put into that system in a way that other people that can benefit from it without having to go to a college to experience it, right? Like, I think what we're kind of getting totally. at is that mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think the experiences <laughs> that I had and the conversations that I had and, uh, you know, the knowledge I gained should be behind a, a wall of having to pay tuition. Uh, I think that there's no reason that shouldn't be available to people publicly. And frankly, that's a big part of what I want this show to be. Uh, that's why we're making a podcast right now, because... Uh, if they're not having the conversations we want to have, then then we should, and we'll put it out there and, and see what happens. But um, but yeah, if anything, I think it's just recognizing that there's a lot of wasted potential, uh, or at least potential that we would love to be used to let other people experience the same things we've had the privilege to experience. I, I totally agree with everything you said. I think also, yeah, I just want I just want the AIGA to be clear, you know, and I think. Um, Thinking about like community building, like how do you how do you support a community of graphic designers, and how can you do that on lo- on a local scale? I think just um, thinking about sort of making space, and then also like how what is your visibility? Um, I think that those are just uh, things that I think about a lot right now in terms of. Um, you know, where we, where do we find our discourse? Like we're talking here, we have all these, these digital spaces that I think are, are working really well. Um, so what is the relevancy of having chapters and like, what are you, what are you giving back or sharing with your community? Last word, Annie? No, I have nothing to add 
I think like nothing new to add. I totally agree with everything that's been said. I think uh, from like as an optimist, optimistic pessimist, I criticize it so much because I hope for it to do so much more. Yeah. I, Matt, you get anything to close this up? I just, I, throughout my whole life, I've, or I mean, throughout my entire knowledge of, of the AIJ existing, like it's never really felt like a useful thing. So my curiosity is like, could it ever be a useful thing beyond like a place I go to find contracts and basic business things? Because <laughs> I, you know, I, I think to maybe even just the core of it is like, I'm not even sure that, I'm not sure that they share the same philosophical belief at their core that I do. And I think most of us here do. So like, is it valuable to look at them and expect more or is it just like all right the world is just moving on and um we have twitter now and that's okay <laughs> I, I i don't quite know right but i think yeah i, I don't know it, it does it just seems like maybe we have a new form of community and that's okay i don't know if i get all that I, I don't get that uh worried about what the aiga is and is not up to but maybe i should just expect more i'm not sure Next episode, we'll talk about all of our philosophical and ethical problems with Twitter, yeah. which is our new community. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because, <laughs> boy, do I have problems with that, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, like, deleted Twitter because I was like, I can't. I deleted my account. I can't do this anymore. Well, Annie, thank it's you for bringing Nicole in and making this conversation happen and choosing the topic. I really appreciate thank it. You, that ladies. was uh, That was an exciting, fun time. This was Thanks fun. For and now the show is over. But first, one last thing. Uh, Nicole, where do you want people to go if they listen to you and were like, I agree with this lady who doesn't like the AIGA. I want more of that in my life. Where should they go? Uh, well, on uh, Twitter and Instagram, I am Saucy Unicorn. Another, another one in the long line of great usernames of Working File Contributors. And if you, if you plan to start a competing <laughs> organization, what's that going to be called? You could promote that now as well. Ooh. Well, I would join Union. <laughs> Same. There we go. Make Union National. We're going to do this, it. Yeah. I'm like really into the name. Totally. It's, I love that it was, it was started, you know, in opposition. Like, it was I think that's <laughs> Started great. behind closed doors and hush whispers. <laughs> As they met, uh, as they met under streetlights, and we had a really great logo, which was made out of all, pretty much all circle shapes, which was really important to me when I was twenty-one. Really, really important. <laughs> That's amazing. I think it's time to bring that back. I would join. Well, too. go find go find Union on Facebook, Savannah College of Art and Design Union, and <laughs> they'll have like three new members for no reason. They will have no idea why. Annie, you deleted your Twitter, but is there anywhere people can go on the internet to get more of you? Nope. All right. Annie <laughs> remains a mystery. Get over it, people. You can't have any more. Just tune in next time. She's on the show. It's all you get. This has been Working File. Thanks for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter at Working File, and I also maintain a Twitter list of all contributors to the show from all time, which I highly recommend. Follow us on Twitter, all the smart people who say smart things that talk of the show. And unfortunately, no more Annie. She's gone. I made it sound like she died. Just quit Twitter. That's, a, that's like a death of sorts. 